Hello, this is James, and welcome back to The Word is Very Near You, my podcast about the closeness of God in our everyday lives. Thank you for being with me today. Today's episode is part of my series called Think and Do, which is based on Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we're still in the think portion of the series. The first three chapters of Ephesians deal with theology, really. Paul is teaching and reminding his readers about the importance of the facts, the importance of what God has done for them and who they are, the results of that, how that knowledge impacts, or at least should impact, their everyday lives. And so we see that ideas matter. Ideas have consequences. Thoughts matter. How we think about God and think about ourselves has real consequences for the ways that we live every single day. And that's certainly true of today's topic, because the topic we're looking at today is something we hear about all the time right now. And this is true that about every four years, all of a sudden this word or this idea becomes very, very familiar in our culture, because it's a topic of unity. And it seems like every time there's a new election, a new president is elected, possibly a new Senate, new House, there's always discussion about how we're going to lay down the partisan divide, and we're going to reach across the aisle, we're going to have unity in our country, unity across political parties, unity across the ideological spectrum, both conservative and liberal, unity between the races, and on and on it goes. And nothing wrong with that, of course. We all, I think, would say we need more unity. We need to be more unified as a country and as a people. Lots of ideas and plans are developed for unity. And sadly today, we even see a lot of disunity in the church. We see a lot of division over political issues, over social issues, maybe even theological issues. And more than ever, it seems like the body of Christ is very divided. And so we look to programs and ideas and prescriptions for unity. But let me ask you a question. In your lifetime... How well have you seen those programs and words and ideas about unity matter? How well have they worked? Have you seen a significant movement and progress towards unity in our church, in our country, in our families even? And to me, the answer is no. It seems like they haven't worked very well. We're not seeing real progress in unity as a nation. Many people comment that we seem to be more divided than ever during this time. And sadly, I think um, think they're right. Well, the New Testament era was no different. We also see a lot of division in the early church. And in Paul's churches, the main struggle for unity, the main areas of conflict, occur between Jews and Gentiles. In the early church, there were a fair number of Jewish Christians, people with a Jewish heritage and background, who revered the Old Testament, the Torah, the laws, and had a a lot of pride in their national heritage and background. And these folks had come to embrace Jesus as the promised Messiah that the prophets foretold. And they were very excited uh, to be a part of the body of Christ, even though it meant rejection from many of their fellow countrymen who did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. 
but also in the early church you had Gentiles or non-Jewish people. And these folks were the focus of Paul's entire mission. He was often called the apostle to the Gentiles, right? And his whole focus was to reach non-Jewish people with the message of the gospel, which is really ironic considering Paul's strict Jewish background as a Pharisee. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And so here he is reaching out to people with either no religious background or perhaps they worshiped the gods of the Greek and Roman pantheon. And these folks, of course, had very little knowledge, maybe none, of the Old Testament and certainly not of the religious purity laws that the Jews still regarded as being important. So there was immediately an atmosphere of of tension between these two different cultures, Jewish and non-Jewish, and it created some very interesting and problematic situations that Paul frequently had to address in his letters to them. So in today's passage... Paul cuts right to the heart of the matter as he speaks to this group of mainly Gentile Christians and, again, gives them the theological foundation for understanding unity. And later in the letter, he will get more into the prescription of the how-to, but he first wants them to understand what's really at stake here and what Christ has done for them. And so the passage goes like this. I'm starting in Ephesians 2. Verse 11, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. A few observations. First, we see a real parallel to the passage we looked at last time which is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, where there's this kind of then and now contrast. Paul describes their life before Christ and then contrasts it with their life after Christ. And the words he uses in this passage to describe their pre-Christian life are words like uncircumcised, separate, excluded, foreigners, without hope, without God, far away. And the new life includes these words, brought near, peace, 
reconciled, fellow citizens, members, united, God's temple, God's dwelling. And so in both passages, we see that something dramatic and unexpected has happened. There's been an extreme makeover, to use the term I coined last time. Something incredible has happened to change things from night to day, from far away to near, from separate to included. It's incredible. And as we've seen in these opening verses to Ephesians, Paul repeatedly emphasizes that this work really has nothing to do with us, that the initiative here is divine. The unity that has occurred is not the result of some politicians or preachers' five-point master plan. It is divine work, and specifically, it's the work of Jesus in this passage that Jesus on the cross has somehow mysteriously made the two one. Jews and Gentiles are now one. And the word he uses here, one new man, one new person. I know my text reads one new humanity, but in the literal Greek, it's he has made one new being, one new man out of the two groups of people that were once hostile to each other. So you might almost say that through his work on the cross, Jesus has created a new creation, a third race of people that's neither Gentile nor Jew, but something brand new completely, a new man, a new person, a new race. And I can't underscore enough just how radical this idea was that these two groups of people have now, through Christ, become one because there was so much animosity and hostility between these two groups in the ancient world The Jews had laws against eating with Gentiles or intermarrying with them. And this often led Jews to contemptuously look down on Gentiles as being unclean, as referring to them as dogs, outsiders, etc. And on the other hand, you had Gentiles who didn't understand all of this and looked at Jews therefore suspiciously, thought they were being rude and snobby and inhospitable, because they wouldn't associate with them, and they couldn't understand why, really. And so there was all this tension that had built up between these two groups of people over the years. So when Paul says in verse 14 that Christ has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, it's a huge theological idea because it speaks to the amazing work that Christ has done in uniting these two groups. When Paul refers to the barrier or the wall or the fence, there's different ways to translate those terms here. There's a couple of different ideas about what he might be referring to. One thought is the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. In the 19th century, archaeologists dug up one of the pillars of that temple and found an inscription on it that reads this, No man of another race is to enter within the fence and enclosure around the temple. Whoever is caught will have only himself to thank for the death which follows. Wow. So Gentiles were not permitted to enter the inner courts or sanctuary of the temple under the pain of death. That's certainly a powerful image, isn't it, of the dividing wall of hostility. However, most scholars here seem to think that the dividing wall seems to be a more clear reference to the Torah, the law, And all the ways that the Jewish laws, especially the purity laws, separated them from community with the Gentiles. 
and that Christ through his death has abolished the law and has put that to rest so that now Gentiles and Jews together can enjoy common fellowship and life together in the new church. And of course, we saw this a lot in Jesus's ministry on earth, that Jesus often went and ate with Gentiles. He ate with people who were unclean, who were sinners, who maybe hadn't washed their hands. And of course, the Pharisees freaked out about it because Jesus was breaking all of their purity laws. And Paul here is saying that law has been abolished. That law no longer exists. Christ has reconciled Jew and Gentile together. We can now come and eat and sit at the same table together. I'd like to close with a prayer that beautifully captures this idea. This is the unity prayer that is used at Good Shepherd in New York City. One of the gifts of the pandemic has been doing a lot of online church, and our family has really been blessed by this church. It's called Good Shepherd New York, and every Sunday they read this unity prayer. It's a liturgical church, so they do it every Sunday. And the prayer is just, it's beautiful. It's based on the passage we've just looked at today and also some others. But it goes like this. All are welcome at the table of God, every man, woman, and child. For Christ brings peace to all, tearing down every hostile wall, so that the many may become one, one heart, one family, one new humanity. For God, who is love, and Christ, who is all and in all, show no partiality and make no distinction. So neither race nor class, gender nor sexuality, politics nor religion, personality nor nationality count for us or against us. The light of Christ enlightens all. Christ the prisoner and the naked, Christ the hungry and the sick, Christ the thirsty and the stranger, Christ the other. May God's Spirit hover over our chaos, our hatred and indifference. Descend in our hearts with love and pleasure. Blow us out into the world to listen and serve, and set us ablaze to forgive and reconcile. For we are all welcome at the table of God, every man, woman, and and child. Even though I've heard that prayer dozens of times now, it still brings tears to my eyes. It's just so beautiful, such a beautiful description of what Christ has done for us in creating unity through the cross. Unity is not something that we achieve through our human striving and effort, but rather something we receive through the finished work of Christ, something we enter into that's already been done. Now, later in the letter, Paul will give us some practical instructions for how to walk and live together as one new people, and we'll look at that in a future episode. But the thing Paul wants us to know here is that Christ has already unified his church through the finished work of the cross. He has brought those of us who were far away near. He has folded us into the larger story, the salvation history of God's people, Israel, and made us a part of something that's larger and bigger than ourselves. And we all need that. We all need a bigger story to live in. And that's the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. And through that, he has brought peace, shalom. He's taken those who were once strangers and made them friends. So I pray that today you may enter into the finished work of Christ, 
the unity he has created through the bonds of the Holy Spirit. This has been The Word is Very Near You. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another devotion.